everyone is a star child made of stardust and the infinite potential of the universe. This extraordinary fearless something in each of us clamors for freedom from the bonds of fear, conformity, and an ordinary life. Welcome to Dr. Durr's Living in the Sweet Spot, where practical tools and solutions from the intersection of mind-body medicine, science, and spiritual well-being awaken and empower you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Balané Durr, welcoming you to Living in the Sweet Spot. Today, we are going to talk about something that um, that actually, frankly, affects affects millions, both um, the the person involved plus their families. So, if you have a child that struggles with with um, attention, with being hyperactive, impulsive or other ADHD symptoms, you know how challenging that can be, again, both for for the child and for the family. Um, And if you're talking about adults, uh, for their partners, for their employers, um, and in in their relationships. So today, I am going to um, welcome my guest, Dr. Connie McReynolds. Hello there, Dr. McReynolds. Hello. So nice to be here. <laughs> and, and and excuse me for, for for that. I'm just I'm so I'm so happy and excited to really to kind of have this conversation with you today, mm-hmm. particularly about this topic. And um, so we're going to talk about your new book, solving the ADHD riddles, right? The real causes and lasting solutions of your child's st- struggle. Excuse me, your child's struggles to learn. Mm-hmm. So excuse me, my, that was my, that my excitement about that. <laughs> I couldn't get my words out. So, but yeah. So thank you so much for joining me today. No, oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this very much today. <laughs> yeah. So so you know you have um, a different understanding about you know um, ADHD in terms of and its 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 causes and therefore its solutions. So. Um, how about if we start off with, you know, talking about what ADHD looks like, right? Yes, because I think that is a very good place to begin. And it's so interesting because people, pardon me, have different ideas about what ADHD is, kind of depending on your point of view, I guess, your worldview of this. Some people think it's just a willfully bad behaving child. You can see that kind of out in the public. You can see a child who maybe isn't doing what a parent wants, or maybe they're running around the room or they're in the grocery store and they're <clears throat> making a lot of noise and acting out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly the behaviors I think that we anchor in on when we think about a child who has ADHD. A lot of times we hear people talk about this, the child who can't sit still This is the child that's just motoring around all the time and always into something, bumping things over, knocking things over, doing something and having to be redirected all the time. And that redirection doesn't necessarily yield a different outcome. So people get really frustrated with a lot of these children. But there's really other children who are quieter that might go undetected. 
uh, with this. And that's really the focus of what my work has been is kind of peeling back what we understand ADHD to be, to maybe look at this from a different perspective and a little deeper. We kind of dive into this to see what maybe there's something else going on here. Yeah. So the other thing I thought about is you, as you talked about that. And then of course, you know, as these children age and those difficulties that, that then occur in their adult relationships, you know, then they get, then they get called, you know, the, 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 the bad boyfriend or the bad girlfriend, right? <laughs> because, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Cause they can't, because they have such difficulty functioning, you know, in, 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 in their relationships. So, yeah. Um, the bad employee, the employee who doesn't follow through, can't hold on to anything, loses things and doesn't, you know, seem to remember it goes in one ear and out the other. So we've got all kinds of descriptors for folks that fall into this category. Yes, 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 ma'am. So, uh, so a- absolutely. Right. And don't, and don't, and don't forget about that bad driver. <laughs> yes, actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bad, the bad driver. So, um, so before, so before we get into this a little further, you know, let, 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 you know, let, let's talk about, you know, what, what you do, right? So you are a licensed psychologist and a certified rehabilitation counselor with more than 30 years of experience in the field of rehabilitation counseling and, and psychology. And, um, you've also been the founder of some prominent neurofeedback um, clinics in Southern California, which is definitely what we're, we're going to talk, talk some more about that. Right. And then of course mm-hmm. you specialize in working with, uh, with adults and children and, mm-hmm. uh, from five to 90. <laughs> wow. That's a big range, right? It is, although, it is. although, you know, and I tell folks, I said, one of the things you need to remember is in terms of why we get frustrated with adults is because sometimes even though th- uh, their adult bodies, they actually have the mind and the emotions of children walking mm-hmm. around in those adult bodies doing children-like things, right. doing childlike things, engaging in those mm-hmm. kinds of behaviors, but we're expecting more mature, more mature behaviors. Mm-hmm. So you, so you specialize in, in ADHD, depression, uh, pain management, um, uh, I should say chronic pain mm-hmm. uh, and any, any other specialties that, that you do? Well, certainly trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder is a big one that we tackle. Um, the anxiety and depression, as you know, kind of travel together. Mm-hmm. Uh, chronic pain. Can, along, along with the ADHD, right? They occur in a, yeah. in a much higher frequency together. They really do. And why we don't necessarily know, but they seem to be there. Uh, and so, yes, there's a host of conditions. Um, other ones for children that have walked in the door, these diagnoses, and I mean the labels that have come in, include intermittent explosive disorder, mm-hmm. uh, includes um, kind of anger management problems. So we have children who are described as having a lot of tantrums, mm-hmm. so they can have meltdowns, some people call them. Mm-hmm. Um, grandmother called them a cataclysmic event <laughs> because oh, yeah. of the the impact. Uh, that yeah, I read that story about the, was, was she five, the little girl, her, her granddaughter was five? Yes. Yeah, and you talk about that in, in your in your book. Yes, yes. So it can have a big impact, not only in this child's life, but any adult who's really trying to work with a child who's struggling like this. 
everyone is affected. So mm -hmm. it can be, you know, walking down a grocery store aisle. If you if you're sensitive to sounds and you've got a child who is really kind of acting out and running around, or if you're unsteady on your feet and this child goes racing by, you can get a little scared or frightened, you know, about what's going on, and you can worry about that. So it's it's pretty broad based, actually. Yeah, and actually, when you told that story, it actually reminds me of um, of an occasion when I was in the store and I had a family member with me, and he was a toddler, frankly, and um, I paid for the paid for the items had this big old shopping cart full of stuff and had the receipt. And um, I said, I wouldn't need to keep up with the receipt because the store I was at, they checked the receipt before you leave. Mm -hmm. And the toddler took off and I threw the, and I threw the, the, threw the receipt down somewhere. I thought it was in the cart, but when I caught up with him and then went to find the receipt, I was in the store probably another 30 minutes to an hour, frankly, trying to, cause I was like, I am not, leaving my milk that I paid for, <laughs> you know, so, but I was so frustrated that with, mm -hmm. not with a toddler, right. But, but the store and that whole, and that whole thing. So when you talk about, you know, kids taking yeah. off, um, yeah. it, it made me think of that. So, mm -hmm. so it, it also, also things, you know, I think too, for the audience, it should help to define if we define the types of ADHD, right. There's ADHD yes. inattentive, there's ADHD mm -hmm. hyperactive slash impulsive type. And then the third type is the combined type, which is a combination of inattentive and mm -hmm. plus hyperactive and, and impulsive. And so, of course, you kind of talked about, you know, some of those, which are largely the, the behaviors you talked about fall more in a line with the hyperactive impulsive type, right? Yes, I think. And that I, I think is the one people are probably most familiar with is that you think about this child who's really physically misbehaving. The child in the classroom who can't sit in the seat is up and down and all over the place. And so that's really the hyperactive yeah. piece. Touching, touching things, <clears throat> moving things, you know, breaking things. Breaking things, <laughs> tripping things, you know, all kinds of things going on. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's kind of a train wreck that follows. Some of these children, you can see a trail sometimes mm -hmm. with some of them as they come in a house. You know, they'll they'll start dropping things or they start, mm -hmm. you know, everything just doesn't quite fit together the way you want it to. And so people can get really frustrated with that. If you're living with that day in and day out, 24-7, <clears throat> and parents are busy, then most parents work. And there could be other siblings in the household. Maybe they all behave, mm -hmm. so to speak. You have one that somehow is different from the rest. And then of course, that's a whole story that yeah. gets started as well. Yeah. So what does the inattentive type look like? Well, this I kind of describe as the daydreamer. So this is going to be the child that you're talking to and they just kind of drift off and just <laughs> are looking around. And it's like, are you paying attention to me? Oh yeah. And then they're just kind of moseying around, not quite in tune with what's coming along. So <laughs> you actually get that going on and people will say it just goes in one ear and out the other. And in some cases, it's really is what's happening. Yeah. So so they're having difficulty focusing and, and paying attention, like you said, and, and, you know, staying on task. And, you know, uh, I had an appointment I forgot. 
forgot the homework. This is the one I hear all the time. Forgot the homework. Forgot to bring it home. Forgot to take it in. <laughs> oh, but here's the here's the here's the best one to me. I did it, but I forgot to turn it in. <laughs> oh yeah, that one will drive parents and teachers over the edge quicker than anything. Particularly if they stayed up until eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night the night before getting it all done, and then there are no points because it didn't make it to the school <laughs> to the teacher. Right. And or, so these are or, or, yeah. or, or I paid a tutor. Mm -hmm. I have a tutor, oh. a tutor to help you do this. It was done. <laughs> Where is it? Was it? Done last Thank night. You. I know it was done. You did it with the tutor. I saw it. But now where is it? Where is it? Don't have any idea. <laughs> it, it might as well have just been vaporized because it has just gone missing. <laughs> I might as well take my money and bought a pair of shoes. Yes. <laughs> Instead of spending yeah. it on the tutor. <laughs> There's just so, so many stories. I've been doing this for 15 years and there's a theme to some, but there's a uniqueness, of course, to each child and each adult that's dealing with this, is kind of how they are being affected in their life. And the bottom line is usually stress. Underneath all of this is stress. There's frustration, irritation, um, and honestly, just in a child's point of view, they, they start kind of doing a lot of negative self-talk. And so they kind of start saying that they're not smart. And so they'll use words like that to describe themselves. I've even had adults do that. Mm -hmm. That just, um, you know, I, I obviously am not as smart as so-and-so. Yes, because I haven't been able to figure this out. And it isn't an issue of intelligence. It's what I have come to understand. And that's mm -hmm. really where the hope and the change in the narrative uh, kind of comes in the door. Yeah, and, you know, I was just going to say... Um... For me, to be honest, it's, to me, it's it's really heartbreaking when I hear a child say I'm stupid um, mm -hmm. because they don't understand that their brain just works in a different way mm -hmm. than some other folks' brains work. And that it, it doesn't make, like you said, doesn't make them less intelligent. It, it just means we got to figure out what's going to work for them. Um based upon the way their brain works. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's absolutely true. And it's so important for parents. And a lot of parents have really tried to figure it out. So I want to be really mm -hmm. clear. There are a lot of parents who they'll walk in and we start talking and they'll just kind of naturally say, well, you know, we do this. And we know that, you know, she, if we say two or th go do two or three things, it isn't going to happen. So we can only do one thing mm -hmm. or you know, we have to repeat it a lot in order to get this accomplished, or we have to just ride herd on the backpack and the homework and <laughs> getting from point A of home to point B at school. Uh, so parents really have a lot of times tried a lot of different avenues to get resolution, and it just isn't lasting resolution for them. It's like a day in a day out kind of thing 24-7 sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, there's the, like you said, they may start an assignment or start a task and don't finish it. Or, you know, um, you know, they go, you send them to the store and they get part of what you wanted for them to get to the store because they, you know, they forgot or they got distracted or, you know, things like that. So, you know, these have real, you know, consequences Mm -hmm. um, for folks, if they're, 
you know, say for instance, if they're also, if they want to seek some higher level of, of education, or maybe if they're also an athlete, they got to maintain a certain GPA. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, this can be really impactful for their future. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, um, so, you know, why, why I think it's so important. So, so what, what are we actually talking about in terms of the, the, the numbers of folks that are affected by this, mm-hmm. along with the fact that people, you know, some people feel like it's our diagnosis of it is increasing. Some folks feel like it's overdiagnosed. So, mm-hmm. so what are we talking about here? Well, the numbers are really kind of staggering when you think about um, the children that are have been diagnosed in this country. It's, I think it's honestly a conservative number, which they talk about six to seven million children. I think there are a lot more children with these things going on that are really not identified, uh, particularly when it falls under the inattentive type, because these, mm-hmm. particularly girls, so girls tend to be very quiet about this. And so if they're not doing well in school, they just tend to kind of withdraw, pull back and go unnoticed. And they're very, um, very focused on not wanting to be noticed and not wanting anyone to point them out. They won't speak up in class. They may sit at the back of the classroom and they just kind of get moved along and until things really start falling apart on them when they become teenagers. So for a long time, we heard that when a child was diagnosed, there was a a point in time where people were told, oh, you'll grow out of it uh, when you get into adulthood. Don't worry about it. You'll grow out of it. Well, I think people may develop compensatory strategies Mm -hmm. to become more effective in managing this. But what I've discovered over 15 years in doing this is that I think we're dealing with something that we can call it something different and understand it better which is if we really kind of think about the ADHD diagnosis in the current diagnostic criteria, almost anyone can qualify (laughs) for it because there's a lot of debate about that diagnostic criteria. And there are a lot of folks saying, you know, I think I could qualify. I could qualify. Everyone said, I think I could qualify for this. And to some degree, you probably could. So you kind of have, both sides of the spectrum here where I think people are going unnoticed, which isn't necessarily a good thing. And then I think on the other side, you've got people, there's sometimes there's rewards for diagnosing children in certain school settings. And, you know, it's just because they get funding for that. Other places don't want the diagnosis. So it's, I, there's some good books out on that. I think I've referenced some of them in my book is, if you want to delve deeper into any of this, a lot of things are referenced in my book to be able to help you go into those other um, other research topics and areas where they've talked about some of the policies that maybe are in existence that lead to or detract from accurate diagnosing. And that's why I think if we can just almost move away from this label of ADHD and create a different narrative about what we're dealing with, I think we solve some of that because I think if we can get to where I really think has happened, it's, it's a little bit deeper issue than, than where we have been. So, and I think it's a deeper issue in in several ways. So number one, um, I'm just going to, in terms of school settings, the the truth of the matter, school settings are actually, are set up 
designed really ideally for girls. And so when you have an expectation that kids come in and they sit still and focus and they pay attention to do the work, then that sets it up for boys to be overdiagnosed because that's not how mm -hmm. boys are. They're right. little, little guys <laughs> who <laughs> learn, who learn by touching and feel and doing, yes. right? And so one of the things too, that's also that occurs, particularly with African-American boys is, um, you know, that they get over categorized as being problematic in their behaviors yes. Because the the framework and the expectation is 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 based upon girls, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that's 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 one element, and and, and obviously we're we're not gonna go into that, but I, I certainly wanted to bring that up as as part of the conversation mm -hmm. about hyperactive impulsivity that girls and boys are different, and you and and you shouldn't judge. Uh, uh, have a standard that that's based upon girls' behavior for boys when it doesn't fit. So, right? Yeah. So, so there's that, but then there's also the 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 dynamic too that, as you well know, that when you have um, depression, mm -hmm. right? That depression, depre depression, one of the components potentially is you have difficulty, you know, paying attention. If you have you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, you can have problems paying attention. If you have anxiety disorders, then you can have problems paying attention. If you're having some kind of psychosis where you're hearing voices, you know, or having or seeing things or having some kind of stimulus that um, is, is also uh, diverting your attention and and so then you can be distracted and have problems paying attention or completing tasks because your attention is being drawn inward to whatever the stimulus it is um you know that that that, that you're experiencing absolutely there's just so much that goes into this and i think just this cursory uh review of just some behaviors probably leaves us a little short on really understanding what's happening with each person um, and I'll wax just for a moment. My mother taught second grade in the same room for 32 years. So I kind of joke that I grew up in second grade and I can remember her talking about, <laughs> you know, these little boys, you know, <laughs> and she'd come home at night and you know, she wouldn't necessarily say their name, of course, but she'll say, you know, I looked over and he was sitting on top of his desk. And then I looked over again and he's under his desk. <laughs> And then he's writing from the side of his desk. And <laughs> so, you know, and here he was, you know, he was fidgety. He couldn't sit still. So he was having a, a hard time of that. Mm -hmm. And I just always remember those stories, you know, that I would hear about these second graders and their people are wired differently. And I think in those days, I give credit to my mom a little bit on that. I think she had, maybe, and I'll say to this too, the classrooms were smaller. So if there were 20 students in a classroom, that was considered a large classroom mm. of children. And now we can have up to 30 uh, sometimes in these classrooms. So teachers have a lot of pressure on them in the classroom. And I, I taught for 25 years myself in academe in a university setting. So I'm familiar with that. Like I said, mom was in the same classroom for 32 years. So she raised kids and then their kids. <laughs> right, right. 
But and, and and again, I just you know throw this in as part of the conversation. There's also, especially in the younger grades, a preponderance of of women teachers, yes. and yes. so um, you start to see you start to see more men in the middle schools and definitely yes. in high schools, which mm -hmm. um, then of course brings a different dynamic. Uh, mm -hmm. an improved dynamic, I think, what is it, as it relates to it relates to boys and their increasing testosterone. But again, when you have, mm -hmm. you know, an overwhelming number of women, probably 90 something percent or more, you know, women teaching at the lower grades, you know, again, we just, I just think we, we need to be moving, make, moving towards mm -hmm. um, the incorporation of more men teachers. Um, to, to bring balance and, and understanding about men are from Mars and women are from Venus. <laughs> As John Gray said. Well, many years ago, and yes, children are the same. Little boys come from Mars, little girls come from Venus. And so when we have these behaviors that are problematic, I think it's so important that sometimes we can, if we can, kind of slow down and start trying to decipher what are these behaviors telling us? Because I think the behaviors actually are a language that if we can figure out how to decode it, instead of just trying to get rid of it, uh, which tends to be, you know, kind of the stopgap measure of a lot of things is let's just get rid of the, the fidgety behavior and everything is going to be okay. Well, maybe not. Maybe that fidgety behavior is telling us something that this child's trying to communicate and children can't describe this at all. Adults cannot describe this at all. It's just they know that something isn't working right. They know they're struggling more and it often is internalized that there's something wrong with them. That, that you know, I, I'm, I'm not smart or I can't do this. And then you get this kind of learned helplessness sometimes that comes along. And boy, we want to nip that in the bud because that doesn't help anyone grow up with that. Yeah. So I, you know, I love the fact that you're saying that their behavior is communicating um, to us uh, a language that we need to decode. So before we get, go into that further, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we'll pick up with that. Heaven abounds in you, enlightens, uplifts, inspires, and invites you to live a life that's engaged, joyous, and limitless. The sweet spot of life. Take this journey in oneness. We are and have all that God, the infinite creative source of the universe, is. You are infinite potentiality, and the kingdom of heaven is within you. Heaven abounds in you. Are you feeling stuck or in a holding pattern with your business or life, and you're not doing the things you want or love? Then at some point, you're going to be faced with a decision. You'll either choose to keep living in your comfort zone and risk a life of mediocrity, or increase your courage, step into your power, and forge into the unknown, where everything new becomes possible. 
If you're truly ready to live masterfully, then you need Ken D. Foster's newest book, The Courage to Change Everything, Strategies and Wisdom to Transform Your Life One Day at a Time. This powerful but simple guide provides you with 365 days of life-transforming wisdom, profound questions, and action steps that will increase your strength and open the doors to success. Stop wondering why your business or life isn't working. The answers are available now. Imagine if you had more courage or another chance to start following your dreams. To pick up your copy of The Courage to Change Everything, visit thecouragetochangeeverything.com. That's thecouragetochangeeverything.com. Hi there. I am Dr. Durr, and I am back with my guest, Dr. Carolyn McReynolds, the author of Solving the ADHD Riddle. And um, before we went to break, we were talking about the fact that you said that you think that um, children's behavior is a language that we need to decode in order, one, to be able to give them the language to describe what they're experiencing, but also in order to solve the riddle. Mm -hmm. I tell do. Because more, I, tell us more about that. Sure. So I think, well, what, what I came to understand is that in my clinics, when people would walk in, you know, there was this real urge to get rid of a behavior. It's like, well, these behaviors are just driving everyone kind of bonkers, if you will. You know, it's just uh, kids were not doing well. Parents were not doing well. Teachers were not doing well. And there was just this drive to get rid of the behaviors. And what I started recognizing as I was doing this over the years is that these behaviors actually were telling us information. So, for example, that child who can't. I was going to say, and let's, let's be clear about this part, because I think it's important to keep in mind why, why you want to eliminate the behaviors. You want to eliminate the behaviors because in some ways um, it's causing academic failure, mm -hmm. right? It's causing exactly. low or poor self-esteem as a consequence. Mm -hmm. And then the other part, then the other, and, and frustration um, for the child, frustration for the parents, frustrations for the teacher trying to teach. Um, especially when the behaviors um, of the child are disruptive, right? Exactly. So that's, that's what. That's why we want to. We want to quote unquote eliminate the behaviors. Mm -hmm. Well, the goal is yes to get rid of that so that everyone can do well because mm -hmm. it, it's the perception is that it's the behaviors that are the problem. I think it's where I want to go with this. Is that the behaviors are the problem? There are problematic behaviors, mm -hmm. but if we change up how we're looking at this to investigative. And so if I become curious about what is a particular behavior telling me, for example, we might say that if my grandmother can't find her keys on a regular basis, we might say there might be memory problems going on mm -hmm. and there could be, or she could just be disorganized. <laughs> so maybe she just can't remember <laughs> Or she did put things, but it might not be actually a memory thing. It could be that, hmm, well, maybe if we get rid of this pile and this pile and this pile, we'll find the keys down in between that pile. <laughs> so, again, you know, way, there's a bunch of money down here with the keys too, Grandma. Oh, man, yes. <laughs> there could be a lot going on there. So, so again, it's really about trying to figure out what the bigger picture is here. Mm -hmm. So with these children, 
what was happening is as I was running these assessments and we were able to start pulling apart all this information, I found that these auditory and visual processing problems kind of fell along some behavioral pathways. Uh, so you can have auditory, you can yeah. have visual. Yeah, and then um, you, know, you know you're going to have to explain that, right? Yeah, you will. Yes. You didn't climb into the big word. Bathroom, right? <laughs> We're going in. We're going in here okay. with this one. So first, before we go too much further, I want to make sure I say that when we're dealing with visual processing, I'm not talking about visual acuity of sorts. So obviously I'm wearing some glasses, so I, I have a visual need to wear glasses, but that doesn't equate to the same thing as what I'm talking about with visual processing. And the same with auditory uh, processing. It isn't the same thing as maybe needing a hearing aid or having hearing problems. I do think it's important to check both of those out at the front end of this, and I've recommended that parents do that if they haven't already done so. It's like we right, need so to rule that out. So you got to rule out medical conditions. Right. So you're saying with the, the, this particular uh, potential cause of ADHD, it's not a problem that I can't see. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. It's, it's, it's not a problem that um, I'm having trouble hearing. Correct. Okay. Although I might get accused of not hearing well. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I might be accused of, you know, it just goes in one ear and out the other. So, you know, I might be accused of not paying attention, tripping over things, but these are actually signals to us. So for example, this child who's constantly losing everything that they're setting down, they can't get the homework from home to school. They can't get the items from school to home, the backpack, you open it up and it just looks like paper exploded in there or something happened. Uh, and they, you know, they lose things all the time. Well, that actually could be an indicator that this child has a visual processing um, component that's going on here. And in the book, I have separate chapters. I have a chapter on auditory processing, and then I have a chapter on visual processing. And at the end of both of those chapters are checklists that could help parents and teachers really kind of figure out, gosh, am I dealing with an auditory processing problem here? Or am I dealing with a visual processing? So for auditory, we could say, hmm, I keep telling him over and over to go do this, this, and this when he gets home. And before he gets three steps away, he has completely forgotten everything. And then I'm repeating myself over and over and over again. Well, there could be an auditory processing problem there. There could be a problem with being able to retain what's being said to hang on to it. In other words, to be able to put this into an actionable follow through process because some children okay. can't do it. All right. So, so Dr. Connie McReynolds, let's, let's get a little real concrete here. Let's real specific. So when mm -hmm. you say that they're having an auditory problem processing that instruction, what does that mm -hmm. mean? What does that mean specifically? Mm -hmm. So there's actually 37 areas that I look at with this computer-based assessment that we've been using for quite a long time. And part of what it looks at is something called auditory vigilance. And part of that is, is this person easily distracted? So do they kind of drift off? Do they tune out? And when that happens, are they able to get back on track? There's also an auditory focus component to this. It's like, how much can they pay attention to what I'm saying to them? So if, it, if I'm giving instructions, are they focused 
or are they again tuning out drifting off there's another piece that's really important for people to understand and it's called processing speed and this is where a lot of children i think get caught uh, because they get channeled into services because of slow processing speed because this processing speed actually i think gets diagnosed as being more of an intellectual challenge and so we'll actually hear terms such and you don't hear it quite as much as you used to but slow learner well if i have a slow processing speed i could easily get categorized as being a slow learner which my intelligence could be average or above i've worked with kids that are brilliant but they're in in special education because they can't keep up the pace so they can't keep up with what's being presented to them. They lose track of all of this. And then it doesn't do well for them in school because it ends up being a situation where they aren't able to follow through. And then that general education setting doesn't look like it's supporting them in their educational process. So they get moved into these other more supportive circumstances. Right. Um, and I think just, it's, and I, you know what, I think it's important to acknowledge that difference and that it's not necessarily one of intellect. Because, you know, mm -hmm. I remember uh, it's probably been 20 years or more now um, that one of my friends, you know, um, he said to me, and he's, you know, a pretty bright individual himself. And he said to me, he said, he said, he said, Valen, you idle faster than some people can run. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, some of the women in my family talking about how sometimes certain men would make the comment, you know, about them needing time to process things that, that we would say. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying that it, it is a, uh, male, female, or gender issue, um, but but people do process things at different speeds, and mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that one person is smarter or not right. than the other. It's just the way that that uh, that their brain works. And mm -hmm. um, you know, I want you to you know to finish talking about this too, because we were talking about the also we got to get into the 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 visual part of this. But um, but I definitely definitely going to need to circle back and make mm -hmm. sure that we talk about um, that the problems paying attention or being hyperactive impulsive again is just how the brain works excuse me or does or works differently but it's not an issue of intellect so 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 I'm sorry you were so you were saying that that in terms of the 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 processing the the processing mm -hmm. speed. Mm -hmm. Well, and there was a case in point uh, that is in my book in one of the chapters about this teenage boy who'd been in uh, special services since early on in elementary school and was in um, high school now. And he was sitting in the library and he was bored out of his skull as a teenage boy and really decided, hmm, you know, I don't like my grade. I think I'm going to hack the school's computer system to change my grade. I don't and hands. I, I don't hands. It's Dev's workshop. <laughs> and he hacked it. Uh -huh. And this was the first indicator for anyone, including the parents, that, okay, what is going on here? This child it got a lot more going on than anyone has ever 
felt like uh, he's been able to demonstrate. He's a lot and smarter, so, right? He's a lot smarter. A lot smarter. Mm -hmm. I, I would have no clue how to hack a school's computer system, but he did and did it quite readily and <laughs> sadly was expelled uh, from that mm -hmm. school uh, mm -hmm. because of that, obviously. The parent brought him. Uh, in to see us. We worked with him and then transferred to a new school for the next school year and scored the highest on the state's math exam in the history of that school that next year. And it was because he simply couldn't process, he couldn't keep up with the lectures or the teacher in the classroom and he would get distracted. So he wasn't really hyperactive he was more the inattentive type, and he couldn't remember information that was given to him verbally. So some people who have the, the verbal so auditory was, processing so can be was, very good so with that was visual. The auditory, that was the auditory processing problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. For him, and he actually had kind of a mixed bag for him, but what we were able to do is get that all strengthened up. And then the next year, of course, he went on and did very well, and he's gone on to college. And, you know, he's living a different life now. Okay. The key is, can is we figure out what's going on? And hopefully, he's hopefully he's not hacking some government site. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thankfully, I think that was a one-time shot. Kind of learned his lesson on that he, one. He, he decided he was not going to pursue being a black hat, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the black hacker instead of the the white hat in terms of the hackers. Right. Like that. uh, That's right. That's right. So what is and the, yet, yeah. So I was going to ask you. So what? So what does the the visual processing difficulty look mm -hmm. like? So it's really interesting. Up on my website, uh, I have a clip mm -hmm. of a young man who was interviewed. Um, he did neurofeedback. He wasn't one of our clients, but uh, it's such a great example of him talking about what it was like for him to try to make his bed. Now this is clearly an articulate young man. He's charming. He looks like he's got the world at his feet. And yet he's talking about that when he would go into his bedroom and have to change or make his bed, he would freeze there. He would just stare at it. He said, you would think that all you would have to do is take off the top covers, take off the sheets, put on the sheets and put on the top covers and be done with it. And he, but he said, he would stare at that and he would have no idea how to organize that. And it was such an overwhelming task that he could not do it. And I think that's such a great representation of what visual processing can look like, literally. is This is the child who maybe you say pick up all the toys and they can't get that organized. They cannot visually organize their room. They can't visually organize their backpack. This may be the child who also bumps into things, trips over things, and again, get the vision checked to make sure they don't need glasses. But if that isn't the case, then this could be some signs, if you will, of visual processing problems. Messy handwriting is another one. In elementary schools, so if the handwriting is really messy, they can't form their letters, that could be a cue as well. So then what's actually happening with the visual processing that they're unable to organize, you know, making the bed or their, uh, you know, or their handwriting is messy. What's actually happening? So in my understanding of this, and I'll be the first to say I'm not a, a brain scientist here, I'm not a, a neuroscientist, but I am a rehab psychologist. 
part of what I've come to understand with this is that the neuronal pathways that guide and help us with our auditory and our visual processing are just not strong enough. And that's with this assessment, I'm able to identify those areas. And sometimes it's this thing called visual prudence where they're very easily distracted by visual things going on around them. <coughs> Pardon me. They're distracted by visual things going on around them. So anything going by catches their distraction. They just can't focus. So the focus may be a problem. They can't get the information from the whiteboard down to a piece of paper. And when they try to, their lettering is just messy. They can't really organize. And it's, that's part of the problem here is that the organization skills are just missing for this particular child or adult. So, you know, so traditionally the way we talk about, you know, ADHD in medicine is that there is, um, you know, parts of the brain that are working too slowly. And so because those parts of the brain are working too slowly, then they're not able to do the task, uh, or meaning whether it's the focus and paying attention, it's just the organizing. Uh, the impulse control, right? Jud judgment, those things, that part, those parts of the brain are not working fast enough. Therefore, they're mm -hmm. not uh, doing the job as well. And so obviously the intent behind giving medication is in order to help those parts of the brain um, to speed up. Um, the mm -hmm. same thing is, is, is true. Like there's some, some people that I know that have ADHD, they, um, actually because they're so revved up that they have they have part problem sleeping so you would think which is counterintuitive about somebody that's, that has that has ADHD that they need to have to take medication to speed up the brain so that it works more within the normal range to do things like even slow down enough to be able to sleep or to, to you know again to be able to focus you know pay attention mm -hmm control their impulses, et cetera. So, so that's the, the, the approach that we kind of conceptualize things of medically. Mm -hmm. um, but, but your, your approach um, is different. And I think one of the things that uh, uh, bef before we, before we go on to this next part, I do one, I'd like for you to tell, you know, folks what a um, rehabilitation psychologist does, but, but also I think we, we should get into what are those, um, I'll call them those mistaken beliefs that people have about, mm -hmm. you know, ADHD and, you know, what it says, you know, about the person and also their expectations about what people can do. Cause you, cause you, cause you know, you're like, you know, a lot of parents are like, well, like you said, they can, they can, he can focus on what he wants to do. He can play video games, but he can't clean up the room. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so, so let's start with what does a rehabilitation psychologist do? Sure. So the beauty of, of the educational background that I had, I started out as a rehabilitation counselor many, many years ago. And part of what that was really geared toward is um, you have the diagnoses that you work with, but the process is, uh, really focusing on strengths-based um, activities. So it was really looking for things the person could do well. And I worked in employment settings and helping people get jobs and uh, trainings and the like. And so it was more focused on 
you know, who is the person? It's not so much just the diagnostic label that might get them in the door for services, but then who is the person and what can we do to kind of work around? So it's always looking for a workaround. It's outside the box thinking. It's like, okay, this doesn't work. Which direction can we go? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And it was really great because you really could get creative with finding solutions uh, to help people. And with the rehab psychology, it's just an advanced level of that where it was more of a psychology degree. <clears throat> so certainly I can do the diagnostic piece and this and that such. And I have a private practice with talk therapy as well. But And I taught for 25 years in the field of rehabilitation counseling. With that, I often taught students. I taught the psychiatric rehab, the addiction classes. And it was about really understanding, okay, this may be the diagnostic criteria that this person meets. But when they walk in the door, you really have to figure out who they are. And the key to this is finding the workaround, finding the ways that we can help them actually live their life, live their best life. And what can we do to facilitate that? So it was like walking in two different worlds. So they would have their abnormal psychology class, but then they would have the whole rehab action as well. And that's the, the background that I've brought to everything, to my teaching and to the clinics which is let's figure out what isn't working, let's figure out what the strengths are, and let's see what we can do for those weaknesses. Can we actually mitigate some of that? And my process was using brain training, which I know we'll go into a little bit later, but it's training the brain. It's understanding that the brain is flexible, it can learn, and through repetition, and how we have learned everything that we've ever learned in our life is through repetition from learning how to walk as a child, to drive a car, to ride a bike. And the good news is once we kind of get that trained in the brain, it tends to hold, which is why this uh, intervention of neurofeedback is, is attractive to people because it, they can come in and if we can figure out what that root cause is of these underlying behaviors and these conditions, and then we train the brain through about 20 hours of brain training, they don't need to come back. And I often say, well, how is that possible? It's like, well, did you learn how to ride a bike when you were a child? Well, yeah. So how long has it been since you've been on a bike? Oh, about 30 or 40 years. So if I brought a bike in here, do you think you could get on it and ride it? Well, yes. It's like, of course, because the brain holds on to that. <laughs> and that's what this is about, is literally helping the brain hang on to and just reinforce better operant conditioning. So it's just using this very traditional operant conditioning, which is, rewards and there's a whole process we use for that to help people feel good about what they're doing and train the brain and the key is though we can really dissect the behaviors we we understand those auditory and visual processing problems across those markers and then by helping them strengthen those neuronal pathways they can do better some people do great with medications so yeah, I want to speak to that because obviously I've not treated every person on the planet has uh, struggled with this. So I've only dealt with those who've walked in my door. And so that's my data set are the folks that I've directly worked with. And for them, when they show up, it's because these other things haven't worked for them. And so what they're looking for is a solution that hasn't uh, been offered yet or they haven't found that has a lasting effect for them. Uh, so some of those medications work great for people. I mean, obviously we have millions of people who are on that and it seems to be helping a lot of people. There's There seems to be this segment though that it, for some reason it doesn't. And what I've come to understand is I think it's because we're actually dealing with maybe these auditory and visual processing problems for these folks. 
Right. And the other thing, too, I thought it was really important to have this conversation with you is because there are obviously one, um, some people that um, the medication doesn't work. Uh, two, it makes um, some of their symptoms worse. Three, mm -hmm. they experience side effects. And four, sometimes they just don't, they don't, uh, and they don't want to take medication. They may not even want to take yeah. medication at all. Um, and then if they do take medications for the reasons I just spoke of, then they, they, if they took it before, now they don't want to take medication. Mm -hmm. And the, the third option obviously is for some folks, the optimal treatment will be, um, medication and mm -hmm. this other non-medication options. So, mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and so, yeah. <laughs> You know, I knew this. This is such. This is such a uh, rich conversation um, that um, that that um, the folks are gonna have to stay tuned for part two. Because right? <laughs> so. you know, we 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 you know we're just starting to stir the stew, right? <laughs> we we just we just start we just start to stir the stew, and. Um, um, you know, and just so you, and just so you know, actually, I, I was on a bicycle this year, so <laughs> <laughs> perfect, right, right. So, so at least, I, at least, it hasn't been that long since I've been on bicycle. But now, if you ask me about jumping rope, well, that's the yeah, that's more like the thirty years ago. So, so yeah, so we're going to, um, you know, uh, ask the audience that that, that you guys are going to have to um, come back for part two, so that we can, so that we can get, so that we can get into. The other the other parts of this in terms of what are those those thoughts and barriers that um, you know that that um, people falsely believe about what ADHD is um, that mm -hmm. they that they think that falsely what it means about you know you as a person and your value and your worth mm -hmm. and um, and then we can get um, more deeply into the work that Dr. McReynolds does. Um, because, um, you know, based upon her research, it is a very viable and very practical, excuse me, treatment option, uh, for those who, again, who may not want to, uh, take medications or may want to augment the medication you know, with something else. So I'm Dr. Durr. I'm glad you were able to join us for part one as we talk about, you know, ADHD, what it looks like. And then um, obviously Dr. McReynolds alternative treatment, where she's talking about the difficulties with processing that maybe actually be the causes and then the solutions for that. So we want you to uh, stay with us um, and come back for part two. Uh, you do not want to miss this. And we're going to talk about things again, those um, kind of mistaken thoughts and beliefs that people have about what ADHD is. And then we're going to go ahead and dive in and unpack those treatment options that Dr. McReynolds um, uh, has offered and, and been very successful with us. I'm Dr. Durr, awakening, empowering you to live out your infinite potential to live life in the sweet spot. Thank you for joining us today in the sweet spot. 
Share, follow, and like us on social media. To learn more, please visit balinadurmd.com, spelled B-A-L-I-N-A-D-U-R-R-M-D.com. Join us next week, and remember, when you heal your mind, all things are possible.